the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Friday, November 19th, 2021. Justice, justice shall thou seek, the book of Deuteronomy intones. Why the mention of justice twice is more than a Talmudic question, as it contains more than a Talmudic answer. It's because God is telling us the ends of justice are as important as the means of justice. Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty of all charges by a jury of his peers today. Interesting, isn't it? So many are editorializing on the racial makeup of the jury, only having one black member. I'm not sure why any of that matters when you have a white defendant held to account for the shooting of three other white people. Unless, of course, unless you claim the defendant was a white supremacist. And so many did, including the president of the United States. Tainting the jury and prejudging judicial outcomes, never mind slander and defamation, seemed to be of less interest than the racial composition of the jury. But it was, as these things go, unanimous. In other words, race had no part of this case, and there was not a scintilla of evidence presented that Kyle Rittenhouse was a racist, much less a white supremacist. Even if that were evident, it beggars belief that this would be relevant in white-on-white shootings. But do note the trick. Syntactical saturation has so dominated the left that anyone who is perceived to be a gun owner or anti-riot on behalf of a Marxist movement is a white supremacist. How else is Larry Elder a white supremacist? Or Asra Nomani in Loudoun County, Virginia, leading the charge against critical race theory there. The word means nothing anymore now that we live under newspeak. It used to be an important word, white supremacy. The left has rendered it neutered. When people who are manifestly not white supremacists are called such, it's the equivalent of calling the sun the moon. Nothing means anything anymore, starting with fact. Ending with truth. Even elected leaders in Arizona had to weigh in. Take your Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, candidate for governor. Today she tweeted this, quote, The jury's verdict of Kyle Rittenhouse's malicious murder reminds us once again that there are two systems of justice. This only leaves an invitation for violence for white supremacists, close quote. Anyone, by the way, expecting to see more white supremacist violence just now, per Katie Hobbs? You think that's why the National Guard was called out in Kenosha? Of course it doesn't matter because the Katie Hobbses of the world find white supremacy in anything they disagree with, including simple self-defense, including exclusively against people of the same race. Next time a white supremacist does come on the scene, I worry that we won't think it's so bad or even have any shock at all. After all, We've lived around and with so many for so long, haven't we? From Larry Elder to Kyle Rittenhouse to Nick Sandman and anyone who wants to think differently than the left. And why in heck was Al Sharpton weighing in throughout the course of this case to invade so much about Mr. Rittenhouse? So much so 
that NBC at one point had to even issue a quiet retraction on something Mr. Sharpton got over his skis on in this case. Perhaps I've a romantic view of the law. I grew up with it. My dad had me reading books by and about Clarence Darrow when I was 10. Then, of course, I was steeped in and fascinated by so many legal dramas and histories from, yes, the cases of Darrow's to others. The books and movies I read and watched in those years were all about lawyers and cases, an anatomy of a murder, to kill a mockingbird, rope. Most of us did, at least once in a while, think the same of our courts as we thought of Lady Justice, blind, blind to wealth, blind to esteem, blind to station in life, blind to zip code, blind to gender, blind to race. Heck, we thought a lot of things. Today marks the anniversary of the Gettysburg Address. Children used to memorize it. Anyone even heard about it today? It was memorized as the most famous words uttered by the man who, along with George Washington, used to adorn every classroom in America. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that the nation might live. It's altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people by the people for the people shall not perish from the earth. Two things continually stand out to me from this highly pregnant message. The first is use of the phrase four score and seven. You know why he does that? That takes you to the creation of America and to the year 1776. Not 1787, Constitution, or 1619, or any other date, but to the document proclaiming liberty and equality not on any right of blood or theology, but merely on our rights as being human beings, all of us. The second thing that stands out to me, much as it pains me to say this, Lincoln was wrong. The world will, little note, and has not long remembered what was said there, and it has forgotten what they did there. Oh, yes, it can, as it very much has been forgotten, but it wasn't forgetting so much as deliberate erasing and eradicating and changing. How did Thomas Aquinas put it? And this, too, is denied even to God to make that which has been not to have been. Of course, Lincoln is out of favor, too, and has been for some time, at least among the progressives. But let's go back to Rittenhouse for a moment. To begin with, this case should never have come to trial. 
The state did not produce one iota of evidence that the crimes Kyle Rittenhouse were charged with ever took place. It is relied instead upon the testimony of witnesses whose evidence was not only called into serious question on cross-examination, but has been flatly contradicted by the defendant. I have nothing but pity in my heart for the chief witnesses for the state. They are victims of ignorance. But my pity does not extend so far as to them putting a man's life at stake which they have done in an effort to get rid of their own guilt. Now I say guilt, gentlemen, because it was guilt that motivated the state. The state committed no crime. It was merely broke. It has merely broken a rigid and time-honored code of our society, a code so severe that whoever breaks it is hounded from our midst as unfit to live with. So they must destroy the evidence of their offense. But what was the evidence of their offense? Kyle Rittenhouse, a human being, He must be put away from us. Kyle Rittenhouse was a daily reminder of what the state did and encouraged last year in rioting. And what did the state do? It did something unspeakable. It it allowed for civil riots and legally targeted those trying to resist them. No code mattered to the state other than safety, but it came crashing down. The witnesses for the state presented themselves to you gentlemen, to this court, and the cynical confidence that their testimony would not be doubted, confident that you gentlemen would go along with them on the assumption, the evil assumption, that all whites lie. All whites are basically immoral beings. All white men are not to be trusted around our cities, gun stores, politics, civil unrest, an assumption that one associates with minds of their caliber and which is in itself a lie, which I do not need to point out to you. And so... A quiet, humble, respectable man who has had the unmitigated temerity to feel sorry for a city under siege has had to put his word in others' hands. The defendant was not guilty. But people in that courtroom were. Now, gentlemen, in this country, our courts are the great levelers. In our courts, all men are created equal. I'm no idealist to believe firmly in the integrity of our courts and of our jury system. That's not ideal to me. That is living, working reality. I am confident that gentlemen will review without passion the evidence that people here in court come to a decision and restore the innocent to their families. In the name of God, that is the duty jurors swear to, in the name of God. If any of that sounds familiar... That was Atticus Finch's closing argument in To Kill a Mockingbird. I changed only a few things, the names of Robinson and Rittenhouse. Now, perhaps it'd be important to teach our children in our society these things once again. We used to. The thing, as Plato put it, we used to teach these things we used to know. Before every book was rewritten, before every picture was repainted before every statue and street building renamed and every date altered and before when history was stopped i'm seth leibson we'll be right back Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Big John in Peoria, how are you, sir? Pretty good, Seth. How about yourself? Are you uh, are you getting some uh, izakaya tonight for dinner? 
Yes, indeed, I am. As a matter of fact, we got fresh bluefin tuna in, so we're going to cut some bluefin tuna tonight. Oh, fantastic. I, I, folks, I ran into John, a listener uh, uh, and caller of ours who's come to many of our events. I ran into him at our event Tuesday night, and uh, one of the many things about John that maybe y'all don't know is, uh, is his uh, love and expertise in not only uh, serving but cooking uh, Japanese cuisine, including uh, izakaya style. Right, John? Fair enough? That's indeed uh, well put, my friend. Izakaya well is um, something I didn't know about until you told me, so I went home and had to do some research. If I don't know some, about something, I have to know. Uh, you're probably like me in that regard. It means, as I indeed. understand, if I understand it, it's a uh, it's a blended word of sushi. Uh, excuse me, of sake and stay a while. Yeah, exactly, and that's the kind of uh, like a tavern. And uh, uh, it's it's exactly that. You stay a while, you eat some small dishes, and you drink some good uh, uh, libation. Yes, very nice. Well, okay. That having been settled, you called for what reason? Here's the deed. Here's the thing. Today, there's hope in this great land of ours. And I've got two other words. I'll make a short statement on, then I'll let you take it away. Uh, hope, presence of mind and situational awareness. There's hope. Thank God what the, the, I prayed to God. You don't know how hard I prayed for that young man. Uh, and he's a beautiful young man, and thank God justice was done. Uh, presence of mind. When he was in that terror and that horror of that, um, uh, of that chaos in that riot that was going on, and he felt his life being threatened, and he was carrying a deadly weapon there. He didn't spray that thing all nope. over. Nope. The only time he used that thing is when his life was threatened. Correct. And if you look at that video, and you know what former profession I was in, yep. when I talk about situational awareness oh, yeah. and presence of mind, oh, yeah. he only went after the targets that were after him, and he only used enough force. And uh, sorry that the force had to be deadly to stop the threat against his life. And he did not hit anybody else. When uh, he pointed his gun at some of those people that were after him, the ones that backed up and put their hands up, he did not shoot them. Nope. Nope. So that's what I'm saying. Today the word is hope for our great country because we uh, Glenn Youngkin's election, this guy's acquittal, there's still hope for us. Uh situational awareness, the beauty of how that young man handled himself in that horrible nightmare situation. And thank God, and there's another proof, one more thing I want to say, there's a proof that God exists. Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted. Well, justice was done, right? Uh, John, stay with me a minute. Do you think we yes, will... Do you, I, I'd be curious from you and anyone else, do you think we will see violence as a result of this? Let's first hope and pray not, but after we I'm hope praying and pray. not. Yeah. I'm praying not, but you still got these crazy libs. I mean, I've read a whole bunch of comments by some of the notable ones. Uh, racism, the old racism, uh, you know, it's just amazing how they could still say this stuff. But I'm hoping that uh, um, saner minds prevail and that uh, 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 
that there's no violence, and I, I, I'll say maybe that there won't be any violence. Good. I'm hoping that Good. there isn't. I, I should hope not as well, of course, of course. Um, but if there is not, and let's hope there is not, but if there is not, it's going to be largely because of a show of force and largely not because of people who typically are engaged in actualizing, if not initiating or catalyzing violence. It will not be because of them urging calm. I give you Al Sharpton today. He said, he tweeted, these continue to be dark days for black people killed at the hands of people that believe our lives do not matter. This verdict was not only outrageous and dangerous, it was also an obvious and signal that encourages vigilantes that they can continue to use violence to assert their power and, more importantly, that they are above the criminal justice system when they do. While it is disheartening that we take one step forward, then several back, let this be a reminder that our activism cannot take a back seat. That's Al Sharpton today. Most importantly, interesting sentence is the first one. These continue to be dark days for black people killed at the hands of people that believe our lives do not matter. Name me the black person who was killed here. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. You took the words right out of my mouth, Seth, because there was not one black person that was involved in this trial. One interesting, not yeah, one. I mean, the, here's here's except the problem, John. Except for the jury, there was one black uh, yeah, right. Yeah, one black on juror, yes, who voted yeah. unanimously to uh, exonerate. With the other right. jurors, right. yeah, exactly. So, so, so here's the problem that we really do have going forward, and, and, and it's, it's a big one. And um, we talked a little bit about it um, on, uh, on Tuesday night, a little bit. Um, and it's – I'm guessing – the case that most people, I really mean that, 50 plus 1 percent or 50 plus 0.01 percent of the people who weigh in on this casually, publicly, privately, you name it, whether they're famous or not, I'm going to guess they don't know the facts of this case. They actually know what MSNBC or CNN or the New York Times or Joe Biden said about the case but they actually don't know what you and I just discussed. I, I, I'm exactly. going to guess that. I mean, what they know, most of them, is that Kyle Rittenhouse is a domestic terrorist, that Brett Kavanaugh is a rapist, that the Kremlin put Donald Trump in office, that Nick Sandman is a white bigot, that the neo-Nazis at Charlottesville were considered good people by Donald Trump, that the riots last year were mostly peaceful, that black men are routinely shot in huge numbers by police officers, and that Hunter Biden's laptop, if they even know about it, was a Russian plot. Too many people think those things. That's a list put together by Gerard Baker at the Wall Street Journal, by the way. Too many people think those things. And not all of them, maybe not even most of those who think that, do so ideologically, do so by filtering things through a political lens. It's just what they know from what they've heard. How do we deal with that problem? Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. My friend John, John Cribb, his uh, Lincoln scholar, uh, uh, has been on this show several times. 
He had an op-ed at Fox News today, and I just – it is the anniversary of the Gettysburg Address, which is implicated in everything that we're talking about these days, particularly when it comes to the 1619 Project. But before I say more about that, let me pause on that 1619 Project. I was going through video mashups. Um, I was going through some video mashups uh, and, and, uh, of left, leftists speaking out on the Kyle Rittenhouse case, CNN and NBC. One of them who kept coming up again and again and again was Nicole Hannah-Jones, the author of the 1619 Project. She spoke about the racism involved in Kyle Rittenhouse's case, that he was a white supremacist, and that the biggest thing, the worst thing, of course, I guess to somehow involve an image of ghoulishness or extra guilt or extra criminality or premeditation or something, maybe even federal jurisdiction, this issue of him crossing state lines. He crossed state lines. We were just watching a mashup. He crossed state lines. Nicole Hannah-Jones made a, made a real meal of that, as did so many others. Well, first of all, Kenosha is where his, much of his family lives. Second, the crossing of the state line was exactly a mile. Exactly a mile. But you can throw race at this thing if you want to. You can throw race at anything if you want to. Nicole Hannah-Jones and the 1619 Project have done that. Derek Bell and the critical race theorists have done that, where it doesn't exist. And the funny thing about it is they tell us they're giving us the more accurate portrayal of things. They are not. They're giving us the less accurate portrayal of things, putting race where it isn't. Just like putting our founding when it wasn't. But John Cribb has a piece on the Gettysburg Address today, and he said the same thing I did. When Lincoln said, we will little note nor long remember what we say here, that the world will little note nor long remember what we say here, John Cribb said the world did note it. It went down as his, in history, this address, as perhaps the greatest speech given on American soil. Generations, as I said, of school children memorized and studied it. The two-minute address, keep in mind, it was two minutes, came at a time when the North had grown weary of war. Lincoln used his brief remarks to explain why the Union had to continue to fight. As I mentioned, he started that now famous speech with the words, four score and seven years. That was the poetic way of saying 87 years ago. 1776, the year of the Declaration of Independence, when our founders brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Lincoln had several things in mind at Gettysburg. For one, he knew the country was young, less than a century 
old. The American experiment in freedom and self-rule was unproven, and it was being tested. The eyes of the world were on America, watching to see if we could survive a civil war. Lincoln knew something that many of us today have forgotten. He knew that throughout history, the vast majority of people lived without much freedom. They had lived under the thumbs of kings, emperors, and tyrants. Millions around the world lived in bondage. By one estimate, at the end of the 18th century, just a few years before Lincoln was born, more than three-quarters of the world population lived in slavery, serfdom, indentured servitude, or some other form of bondage. Kind of gives an interesting insight to the intellectual acumen of Nicole Hannah-Jones, who maintains that America was founded to be the only country to support slavery, doesn't it? I'll have more to say in a moment. We'll be right back. The movie um, The Bonfire of the Vanities, based on the book by Tom Wolfe of the same name, was a story about Al Sharpton. It was a story about Al Sharpton and Manhattan in the 1980s. That's what Tom Wolfe was doing. And one of the people trapped by Al Sharpton fictionally, the fictional Al Sharpton in the fictional Bonfire of the Vanities was Sherman McCoy. So he was an easy target, wealthy and white. And he was found not guilty in the fictional account of the Bonfire of the Vanities. The judge was named Leonard White, and it was played by Morgan Freeman. And after Sherman McCoy's case was dismissed, Al Sharpton yells from the, from the courtroom, racist, racist, calling the judge, Leonard White, played by Morgan Freeman, a racist. Bill, will you do me a favor? Um, this is what Morgan Freeman said to Al Sharpton and the rest of the courtroom. We could use a little of it now. You dare call me racist? Well, I say unto you, what does it matter the color of a man's skin if witnesses perjure themselves? If a prosecutor enlists the perjurers when a district attorney throws a man to the mob for political gain and men of the cloth, men of God, Take the prime cuts. Is that justice? I don't hear you. I'll tell you what justice is. Justice is the law. And the law is man's feeble attempt to set down the principles of decency. Decency. 
And decency is not a deal. It isn't an angle or a contract or a hustle. Decency, decency is what your grandmother taught you. It's in your bones. Now you go home. Go home and be decent people. Decency seems to be in rather short supply right now, and Al Sharpton learned nothing from his work in New York, but more importantly, the world learned nothing from his work in New York. Starting civil riots that led to the deaths of innocents. MSNBC didn't learn anything, or if it did, didn't care. Here's Al Sharpton today after the Rittenhouse verdict. I'll read it again. Quote, these continue to be dark days for black people killed at the hands of people that believe our lives do not matter. This verdict was not only outrageous and dangerous, it was also an obvious signal that encourages and notifies vigilantes that they can continue to use violence to assert their power and, more importantly, that they are above the criminal justice system when they do. While it is disheartening that we take one step forward, then several steps back, let this be a reminder that our activism cannot take a back seat. Activism. Activism. Don't let it take a back seat. These continue to be dark days for black people, he said. At the hands of people that believe our lives do not matter. Who testified to anything like that in the Rittenhouse trial? No one. You know why? One an issue. You know why? No black people were involved. None. Not the shooter. Not the people he shot. And by the way, by the way, if you want to look up the people he shot, when you do so, beware that they are nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten described by the media as victims. Kyle Rittenhouse's victims. Can you be a victim if the person who shot you wasn't guilty? Are they going to go back and rewrite these headlines? Doubt it. Actually, I don't doubt it. I know it. We have this again here, not just in um, Wisconsin or on MSNBC. We have it here with the Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, who tweeted the jury's verdict of Kyle Rittenhouse's malicious murder reminds us once again that there are two systems of justice. This only leaves an invitation for violence for white supremacists. How long do we give Katie Hobbs to tweet out an apology or a retraction when over the next several days, weeks, months, you want to name whatever chronology you can, there is no violence from white supremacists over this. How long do we give her? Should we give her the weekend? Should we give her a week? See if white supremacists engage in acts of violence because of this? The jury's verdict, listen to what she says. This is the person who wants to be your governor. The jury's verdict of Kyle Rittenhouse's malicious murder reminds us once again that there are two systems of justice. Does she not accept the rule of law? Does she not accept the verdicts? of a jury 
The jury's verdict, she writes, of Kyle Rittenhouse's malicious murder. What, what, what qualifies Kyle Rittenhouse as a malicious murderer? You call someone a murderer? You better have proof and you better have facts, especially when you call him that after a jury just acquitted him. On facts in the case that was fully televised and available for people to watch that substantiate that he was not a murderer and he was certainly not a malicious person. Do we just do we just arrive at a point where justice means juries mean the court system and the criminal justice system mean nothing because you don't like the political viewpoint of the person on the stand or in the box or in the dock or on the or or, or, on, or, or the defendant is is that where what, what justice has come to to the Democrats? Katie Hobbs is, by the way, known as a moderate Democrat. Is this what is this what justice is to the Democrats? Juries and courts just don't matter. They're guilty because of their political viewpoint. Well, I say be careful if that's the new rule. Because that's not Maoist communism. That's Leninist Stalin communism. It's dangerous. And the Democrats, I don't know if they're flirting a little too much with this notion of the uh, of using the criminal justice system as as politics by other means. I don't know if they're flirting with it or if they're so deeply buried under it, they can't even know or see the difference. Seth Leibson show. By the way, as we're heading into the holiday season, if you don't have plans on December 5th, we are giving away two tickets. We'll be giving away more throughout the show and next week. We're giving away two tickets to a concert December 5th here in Phoenix of the uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Great, uh, great event. If you are the next caller at 602 508 Zero, uh, zero nine six zero. We are happy to give those, happy to give those to you, uh, uh, and you take whoever you want. We'll give you two uh, two tickets to the to the great Trans Siberian Orchestra. Uh, by the way, you know this other thing about the holidays is interesting and coming up, and people have been worried about talking politics with family and talking about current and world events with family and friends around the table. There's another aspect to these things that we make a practice here of focusing on every year with uh, our resident expert, uh, Steve Moak, Jr., Uh, and that's the issue of people struggling in recovery or with addiction and what these holidays mean to them. If that's of concern to you, whether you have a family or uh, member or friend who's going to be around you, if you are in one of those categories, someone struggling or someone trying to keep hold of your recovery, 
we, we, we know that the holiday season is about the toughest challenge, the toughest uh, challenging time for people in those categories, in those difficulties. And Steve Moe comes in every year to talk with us about how to go through it, how to deal with it, how to deal with it successfully, how to win, to quote his mom, if I might, how to win. And uh, he will be with us uh, at the top of the next hour to talk about that. If you have experienced thoughts or questions, feel free to give us a call. Steve Moak loves taking your calls as well. It comes to us at a particularly grim time for the statistics on these things. Uh, this country has never seen more, ever, substance overdose deaths than it did last year. We were stunned when we saw the number at 90,000. We'd never seen 90,000 before, ever. We were stunned. And then the hits just kept on coming because those numbers were recently revised upwards to 100,000. 100,000. 100,000 souls lost to drug overdose. Preventable. Preventable deaths in many, many, many cases. Well, a lot of places don't talk about it. We do. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960, and we'll talk about it with the uh, wonderful, the fabulous, and the very, very talented and gifted Steve Moak Jr. when we come right back. We will be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 